Getting Paid Your Worth with Natalie Bolin. Hello, welcome to Build It Bootcamp. My name is LJ Haywood. I'll be your host today. Build It Bootcamp is a podcast for aspiring entrepreneurs who are frustrated with their W-2 jobs. You can join us and learn how to build and scale your own business. Now, during each episode, I introduce a topic that relates to business or entrepreneurship and whether or not it's myself or more than often a very special guest. Today we have Ms. Natalie. The information will be valuable in building and scaling your own business. We'll get started right after this. Getting paid your worth. How you doing, Miss Bolin? <laughs> hey, I'm well. How are you? I'm fantastic. Look, this is going to be really fun because uh, this is long overdue. I know last time we tried <laughs> to schedule it, uh, I think I might have got sick, and then you might have got sick, and it was a then you got deployed or something. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, let's let, let's talk about it. So, um, first of all, thank you for doing the show. And by the way, guys, if you get any value out of this podcast. Please share it with three people and uh, follow me on Instagram um, at LJ Haywood C-O-M. I try to get at LJ but, you know, Instagram's too smart for that noise. So <laughs> that was a, that was a mistake. All right. Live live shows, guys. So anyhow, uh, Natalie, <laughs> thanks for doing the show. Uh, and so I wanted to kind of uh, before we get into uh, getting paid your worth, you and I connected on Clubhouse. You've been doing a lot of rooms on Clubhouse, adding a lot of value, help people kind of get their mindset right as it relates to entrepreneurship and things of that nature. But before we get into all that, uh, I'd like to get to know my guest's uh, background. So tell, me, tell us, tell our audience a little bit about, you know, where you grew up and uh, and then we'll kind of get into uh, what you're doing right now. Because I know that you are working in the industry, in the financial industry, uh, very successful, uh, entrepreneurial. But where did you grow up? Uh, I'm from Mobile, the home of Mardi Gras. And um, to me, Mobile was a big city. So I always think it's interesting as you get older and you talk to more people and more people, they're like, oh, you're from a small town. And I'm like, am I? Mobile used to be the second largest city in Alabama. Um, so I'm very Southern. To me, the South ends at like Tennessee. I had a very small worldview. I'm very close knit with my parents, my grandparents. Um, who helped raise me while my mom was a school teacher. Um, I'm the first person in the Campbell family to not be a school teacher. So that's always interesting. And I think it's kind of come full circle because now I end up teaching people. Do I not? So I think it's interesting that I thought I was going to sidestep being an educator and kind of fell into it anyway. I went to Alabama A&M University in Huntsville and got my bachelor's degree there. I have an MBA from Strayer and settled into Huntsville and got stuck. So I've made a lot of attempts to move to other cities and all of them have been unsuccessful. I figure there must be something God wants me to do here. So I'm determined to figure that out. I love that. I love that. Yeah, I think that uh, one of the things that with me when I was in L.A., and by the way, I was raised with my grandparents, uh, my grandmother specifically. Um, I think my parents, very, very, very irresponsible people. <laughs> you know, I love them. Uh, but, you know, it is what it is. Um, and my grandmother is one of the reasons why I kind of uh, got into the entrepreneurial space, because back when we were kids, um, she was the she was the, the Avon lady. <laughs> uh, <laughs> my mom, too. Really? Yeah. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, my granny, she would, uh, I come home and um, I remember I, I tried to be slick, right? Because you know, them Avon boxes be out outside the house. They like zip tied on. And uh, yeah. she'd be like, she'd come home like, boy, you better go out there and get them damn boxes off the porch. <laughs> She, cause she, 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 you know, cause she, uh, what she would do is she'd have me, um, I'd get the boxes, I'd, I'd figure out who's, 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 who's products or what, and I go down to, uh, pretty much do, do collection. I go deliver their products for her, and collect, and uh, that's I was like, mm-hmm. okay. So my granny was making money, you know, doing that. Uh, she also did, uh, what, uh, she did Amway for a while as well. Um, she, she had a bunch of different properties, um, out, out, out in Los Angeles. I want to get her on the podcast because it's very inspirational. She came to LA with like $20 and four kids. And that's all she had when she came to the city of LA. This is back in like many, many years ago. And she made it happen. My, my grandfather actually stayed back in Texas uh, because he was still working. So he was sending money while she was, she had some friends out here in LA. Well, I, I'm not in LA now, but she had some friends in LA and she moved out there, just made it happen, you know? And so, uh, <laughs> so yeah, I, I, I'm very inspired by uh, people that, to start their own businesses and things like that and just kind of do their own thing and she's always been very entrepreneurial and very supportive of what, whatever i've done and i can't wait to get her on the show and when you mentioned that you were raised by your grandparents how was that like growing up um i love my grandparents i think they're amazing my mom had me a little later in life so she's always been about 40 years older than me so my parents are most people's grandparents age so when i was 10 my mom was like 49. So, you know, I always felt like I had an old soul and then being compounded with like being raised by grandparents mostly. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. My mom was not absent. She just worked two jobs. My mom was very responsible and very present. She just worked a lot as a single parent. So um, I was blessed enough to have grandparents who were older and already retired. So they could like pick me up from school and take care of me there. But I mean, they're great depression era very strict with money very no nonsense very you do what you're told because when you don't you could starve to death so that's just how they, that's just the way that they grew up so i definitely think it rubbed off on me being very austere is something that makes sense to me because of how my grandfather was that's why people who spend frivolously baffle me even to this day even if I made a million dollars a year, I, I don't know that, you know, $5,000 jeans would ever make it into my rotation, you know? <laughs> yeah, that's a good point. I mean, I, I've always been like that, too. I think uh, when I was a kid, it was very it wasn't very trendy to be at, at the secondhand store. Right. And that's where I was shopping at my grandmother. And then um, as I got older. Right. Because people used to tease you, you know, because you had you had them, them dress pants on from the secondhand store. And then, but then as I got older, I knew how to dress myself. I had to spend a lot of money. I mean, I look, right. I mean, like, you know what I'm saying? I wasn't spending a bunch of money on J's. I wasn't, I wasn't doing these kind of things. And when I was a kid, it was kind of, you know, it was kind of tough getting picked on. But to be honest, the, the issue that I'm seeing now with school is really like, we're teaching kids to be consumer, like, like that consumer behavior, right? Mm-hmm. And my granny wasn't playing that. She wasn't about that noise. She was just like, look, these clothes is clean. They ain't that expensive. They your, your fit. Friend, they fit. They fit you. Uh, your friends are paying, like you said, $150 for one pair of jeans. We can go to the secondhand store and get you a whole wardrobe for that amount of money. Straight up. And you won't and you won't be looking raggedy. Right? Right. <laughs> Straight up. And so I, I've always been, kind of been that kind of a person. I'm, I know my fiance, she hates it because... Um, 
for like five years, I've got these two pair of jeans that I wear and I, everything else. The only other clothes that I actually invest in are suits. Like I have a lot of different suits and ties yeah. and, and things like that. Things that actually put money in my pocket. Um, mm-hmm. Other than that, uh, I don't really have a whole bunch of like wardrobe because um, I think with the military mindset as well, I don't like to think about that stuff. I mean, I'm, I'm right. a male. I don't need to look cute. I could just throw on my polo, throw on some jeans and get to work. You know, like. <laughs> I mean, even Obama said it. He had like three suits the whole tenure of the White House. So he didn't have to make a decision. Um, kind of like he made his own uniform. And I think that's intriguing. You know, in Mobile County, public school children have to wear a uniform. So I was, it was interesting moving to a place where that's not the norm, where only private school children have uniforms. I grew up in a uniform. And once a year as a fundraiser, we'd have out of uniform day and you pay five or $10 and your kid can wear what they want to wear. Well, apparently two years in a row, I wore the same thing. This is what people tell me. I don't remember that. And I remember them trying to tease me about it. And I was thinking to myself, how whack are you that you remember the outfit I wore a year ago? Like, that's really, really odd. Like, you know what I wore? Are you sure I wore this? I just thought it was interesting how closely people watch you. That was probably my first experience with people, like, watching other people's pocket that an 11-year-old would be cataloging what everyone wore. On the one day of the year you could be yourself, you're looking at other people. I just thought that was interesting. Yeah, it's very. it really is interesting. I mean, I I, I always... to be honest, I look back, like I always had something fresh, I always had something new on. And as I got older, I knew how to, like when I would go to like interviews and sh- I, I dressed sharp. I, mm-hmm. I would, in, when I went to interviews, like when I was uh, applying for jobs and things like that back in the day, I would dress, uh, my business part says this, dress the way you want to be addressed. Mm, I like that. It's dope. Yeah, he's dope, by the way. And he was like, uh, so I was like, well, what do you mean? He's like, well, if you or want to work with somebody with their finances, what, 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 what would you, what kind of person would you trust with your money? How would they look? Right, what would they look like? How they speak? Uh, what kind of demeanor do they have? And emulate that, model that behavior, and it'll, you'll see what happens. You probably get a better result than if you don't uh, understand those kind of things. Uh, let's talk about, because today we're talking about getting paid your worth, and I love that topic because you mentioned earlier that in your family, you had like depression area, right? Like, like with your grandparents and all that kind of stuff. Do you think, cause you mentioned uh, before we started the podcast, uh, uh, you know, abundance, encouraging others to, to, you know, get paid what they're worth. That abundance mindset, do you, did you see that growing up as far as uh, fin- when it comes to finances or did you not see that with your family? You know, my mom always wanted more but she could never seem to get her hands on it. It was always just out of reach. And I think part of that's profession and part of that's lifestyle choice, right? She hated being a school teacher and she didn't find that out until she was already a school teacher. Like my grandfather basically said, hey, you want me to send you to college? You're gonna be the major I tell you to be and I'm gonna pay for it. So she never wanted to be in education. She actually got a biology degree. She wanted to be a biologist and and work for the government and that kind of got thwarted by what he wanted her to do and then she had a child and got married and said well you know being a teacher is not that bad i'll conform for a little while until she moved out to oakland and became a black panther 
So she conformed as long as she could. She had a bakery out there called Tough Cookie. And the shirt had a big cookie with big Arnold Schwarzenegger biceps. It's hilarious. And everything was fine until my dad went to Vietnam and came back on drugs. So obviously they split. She moved back to Alabama. And ever since then, it's just been lack because they just don't pay school teachers much. When my mom retired in 2006 as an assistant principal, she was making less than $50,000 a year with a master's degree. I mean, it was pitiful. So how, how abundant of a lifestyle are you ever going to have when you get paid once a month and it's less than $3,000 a month? Like, how, how much can you ever expand that lifestyle on that number? Now, my mom did hustle. She sold Amway, Melaleuca, Tupperware, Avon, Mary Kay, used cars. She still sells Primerica to this day. You need life insurance, let me know. But, again, she has an abundance. I want more, but it never turned into a how do I tangibly get more based on having children, based on being a single parent, based on having... The education I have at the age that I am now, how do you wake up at 70 and say my next act is going to be a million dollars? I'll tell you the truth. I don't want my mom working. I would rather make enough money to where my mom doesn't have to worry about that. I really don't want my mom having no self-discovery at 70 that puts her back out in the workforce in the middle of a pandemic, to, to be real. So while I want her to have abundance, I'd rather her have it through me. Mm, I love that. I love that. Did you, <clears throat> excuse me. I have some water right here. Hold on a second. Okay. I had it just, just in case, right? <laughs> so early on, did you did you see her struggling? Oh yeah, we've had financial struggle. Um, but like I said, it's it's mostly been, I won't say not her fault, but uh, again, you don't know how things will domino. I don't have children. So I can't speak to what happens with your finances once you have a child. But it's not the predictable things when you're single. When you're single, you can go without a meal. When you're a parent, your children can't, you, when your children go without meals, they call it abuse. When you go without meals, they call it a diet. So my mom had to make sacrifices to make sure that me and my brother were well taken care of. She probably doesn't see it that way. And I'm not saying if you have children that you just have to be poor, but like you have to move a variable. What I see a lot of times in other ethnicities, other cultures, they'll usually have two incomes, two income earners. And that makes a huge difference in terms of what you're able to accomplish. On one low income, your options are limited, child, children or not. Now, have we ever missed meals? No. Have we ever been on food stamps? No. Have we ever lived in the projects? No. And that's no shade to people who have but we were solidly lower middle class and just kind of stayed that way most of our lives and did you aspire for more early on like when when, when was the yeah that's why i'm not a school teacher <laughs> that's the whole reason i didn't go into education because i watched my grandfather be poor for lack of a better word now he again he ain't missed no meal he was fine um, but he also had a garden and a pecan tree and like, like he could grow his own collars and stuff. Like he just, they're a different era. Black people born in 1925 have a survivalist kind of instinct that we have lost over the decades through convenience stores and grocery stores. He could go to his garden and, and pull up a whole meal. Right. So right. he didn't have to make as much money. He was a carpenter by trade. His, his wife could be a seamstress 
they knew how to crochet. He taught basket weaving. Like, he just had life skills that a lot of people just didn't have. He could fix his own car. Be, being handy, right? Now, if I wanted to replicate the, the expertise my grandfather had, I'd have to spend thousands of dollars a month to have someone who knows all of what he, he knew, you know? I see you. I've always wanted more. <laughs> <laughs> I, I see you over there because... Uh... I, I don't know what it was. I had something like in my throat. I was just coughing. I was dying. <laughs> I was like, what the hell? Yeah, you were dying. <laughs> I was dying. I had, but I had this emergency water here because what, what it is, I've been, this is uh, this week, on um, Friday, I did like four podcasts in one day. And then today I'm doing two and I've been taking appointments all throughout the week. So my voice is probably just getting shot. But um, bless your heart. I'm good though. I'm good. I'm good. I, I, you know, I, I power through, right? Um, that's one of the yeah. things about me is nobody's gonna outwork me you know what i'm saying i got i got i got the work ethic clearly for my granny yeah but the, the thing is though i'm noticing that a lot of people when it comes to business they think like oh this is going to be fun this is going to be this not there's going to be about five or ten years early on where you're going to have to hustle so mm -hmm. you got to pay the piper <laughs> at some point and usually in the beginning if you want to make it five or ten years then you better hustle in the front end I think it's a continuum. It's time versus money. If you have a lot of money, then you don't have to invest as much time. But if you only have time, then that's what you have to invest, right? And so I'll notice I'll see people who have no money to invest, but they also don't want to invest the time. Well, you've got to do one or the other if you want to be Absolutely. successful. I mean, both would be best. Both would be ideal, but if you don't have both, then you need to figure out which one you have and invest that. You know, I'll meet people. Oh, no one knows what I do. You know, I want to run ads. What are you running ads to? Do you even have an offer that's proven? Has anybody ever paid you anything? Dude, have you I got results? I just had a call yesterday with somebody that was doing a course. And they wanted to, they were asking me about ads, right? And this is, a, by the way, this is nobody in particular. Uh, I don't want anybody to feel like I'm, you know, dogging them or anything. But I asked them, have you sold this course to anybody yet? No. Then don't run any ads. That doesn't make any sense mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> at all. So could you speak to that? Because what, what, what I want to talk about is getting paid what you're worth. But if you haven't put things out there to kind of get an idea, like there's a lot of people that want to make a $1,000 offer, $100,000 offer, all these big offers. Make a $5, make, a, make an offer so you start getting some feedback, that feedback loop. And and then kind of like you know reposition you know i look at business as an experimentation on different things mm -hmm. right when people ask me hey will this idea work i say yeah if you try it i don't know you have to try it <laughs> you know what i'm saying yes if you try it i don't know if it's gonna work what well, do you think uh, the, the the one question i want to ask you that i hate hearing do you think people will pay me that much for this <laughs> that question drives you nuts doesn't it and i'm like well if you're asking that question probably not um because you've already convinced yourself it's too expensive you can sell anything at any price the question is to whom there are ten thousand dollar cars out there there are one million dollar cars out there so obviously you can sell a car at any price the question is who's going to buy it if you sell million dollar cars you shouldn't bring them to natalie right because natalie's never going to buy that even if natalie had bill gates's money she probably would never invest one million dollars in a car holler at rick ross you might make yourself a deal so you just have to know who you're selling it to a lot of us are trying to sell rick ross's a ten dollar ebook 
or we're trying to sell Natalie's a $2 million course. You got to figure out who you're selling to and why, and then make that offer irresistible. But yeah, people will pay $10 for coaching, $10,000 for coaching, $10 million for coaching. The question is just who? If you don't know affluent people, if you don't know influencers, if you don't know celebrities, if you don't know politicians, if you don't know wealthy people, then trying to position a six-figure, seven-figure offer is going to be difficult because your friends and family might say, well, that's wonderful, but I can't afford it. And they're going to give you feedback from their limited point of view. For instance, to me, an expensive car is $100,000. That is an expensive car to me. If a car is $100,000, I'm like, wow, that is a crazy expensive car. Oh my God, you spent $100,000 on a car. So if you come to me and say, is a $22,000 car expensive? I'm going to say no. But if you would have asked me that 10 years ago when I was in college, when I was making $17,000 a year, I would have said, well, that's crazy. Why would you do that? My Corolla cost me 10. It's all relative. So we need to stop asking other broke people how they feel about wealth. Mm, and that's where we make our mistake. <laughs> when I was overweight, I stayed overweight a long time because I asked other overweight people what we should do to lose weight. When I really lost weight, I went to fit people and said, hey, how did you get so fit? What do you eat for breakfast? What do you do after work? And I started to model fit people's behavior. So if you want to become wealthy, get yourself around other wealthy people. And if you're thinking, Natalie, if I knew wealthy people, I wouldn't be listening to this podcast. Okay, maybe go down to the bank and make an appointment with a loan officer or a financial advisor, right? Maybe have a free consultation with an estate planning attorney. Maybe talk to a bookkeeper or an accountant and see how much their services would cost. You can get yourself in a sphere of professionals to elevate yourself. Get on Clubhouse, get on Facebook, join some groups. A lot of times we don't do the free networking we could do to be talking about paying somebody. Like you said, you want to pay for an ad. What free things have you tried? What organic things have you tried? You trying to pay so you could skip, but you can't skip level one through 10 entrepreneur. Because guess what? You might land a level 11 client, but you're not going to know how to help them. It's just like a video game. When I was a child, I couldn't beat certain levels and I'd give my controllers to my brother and say, hey, you beat it. But he'd beat one level and leave and then leave me stuck because now I'm on a level of the game I can't win because I cheated to get there. Don't, don't cheat yourself trying to skip over levels to the high paid client level because what if you can't service that client because you don't know what you're doing? Maybe your ad will land somebody, but since you don't really know what you're selling because you've never sold it to anybody, how well will that experience go? And the last thing I would want is to pay for an ad, by some grace of God, land a client and then not even know what I'm going to sell them. That, that would probably terrify me. That would probably be worse than not getting a client. <laughs> there's, a, there's a strategy that I, I recommend for people to do. If you wanted to make some sort of a simple offer, like say you wanted to do a workshop on, say you're a teacher and you wanted to tutor your students, right? And you wanted to tutor, because parents are busy with COVID. You could go on your Facebook and say, hey, listen, I'm thinking about tutoring math for you know fifth graders uh, for this amount mm -hmm. of money or whatever you decide you want to do and post it on Facebook. And then uh, who, who, who would be interested? Ask that question. It's so crazy how people would take that and run an ad for that when they could just ask a question to their, to their audience for free and see 
What you know what I mean? Like you could you can go on Facebook Live and say, "Hey guys, look, uh, I'm going to be tutoring math this summer for anybody that's interested. If you got kids, uh, just here's my number, you know, or here's my email. I, get, I, I would I probably recommend email, right? Email me here and see what happens, right? And then yeah, if, but are people going to be honest? Because people will know. say they're interested, and then you never like they interested till a payment shows up. <laughs> I don't know. I'm anti solicit your friends and family. Okay. I, I'd rather your friends what and you, family what, what not even know you in business. Um, strangers, start friending some like-minded people, people you got 50, 100 friends in common. Join a local networking group. I'm in the Social Girls of Huntsville. Um, I'm in the National Association of Black Tax Preparers because I was thinking about being a CPA. Uh, I'm in a financial service professional networking group. I'm in probably 12 different networking clubs. And I try to bounce ideas off of other people. Hey, do you have clients that need this service? Hey, have you ever heard of a service like this? Hey, what would you call this kind of service? Um, I'm in a club called We Should All Be Millionaires. That's a great place for me to network with other women who want to be millionaires. I don't know. I won't say don't get in input from your friends and family, but be honest about who your friends and family are. If your friends and family are lower middle class and you're trying to position yourself as a $5,000 service, don't be surprised when they all go, that's too expensive, that's crazy. And I just hate to see people get discouraged because they were hoping that their friends would serve as a marketing department and share and post. And that ain't nah. your friend's job. Your friend's job is to be your friend. You you gonna have to push your business if the business gonna get pushed. Unless you cutting them a part of, unless it's an affiliate, unless they get in the commission, I wouldn't expect anybody to promote for me and I just I hear that a lot my friends and family don't support me they don't support me job. in my business right. that's not their job and I just hear that rhetoric a lot and black people let that stop them in my experience white people tend to click up with other like-minded individuals and go out there and make some money if that's what they decide to do but we've been conditioned especially people who've done MLM because that's what they teach them right start with your friends and family even Primerica go to your warm network first right i'm not saying that's bad and for life insurance it makes sense you should start with the people who you have a vested interest in their lives and insure all of them but if you if you in a small town if you from eufaula alabama don't nobody know you don't nobody know who you are you got a big idea sometimes it's better to keep your big ideas with other people who are big-minded and not small-minded people who are going to tell you that your big idea is, is dumb especially if you're easily discouraged and until you've made money from the offer, I think most of us are easily discouraged. Until you made your first sale, it's very easy to talk most people out of doing this business all together. Because it really ain't a business till you made some money. It really ain't business till you made some money. <laughs> ain't that the truth? You know what? You make you make you make a really good point. It's very nuanced, but it's very very clear that um, when when I started uh, my Instagram in January, I pretty much had no following. I, I wasn't really invested in Instagram because I was doing my financial business just at my office. You know, I was meeting people, like you said, strangers. Mm -hmm. uh, most of my clients, and I, I'm happy you mentioned this too, most of my clients, like 99% of them basically, were people that I didn't know when I started my business at all. Like yeah. we had no connection other than uh, I started my my uh, my company and I started talking to different people, maybe at wine and cheese events or, uh, you know, the type of people that I wanted. To, I was pretty much courting people that I wanted to uh, connect with. Uh, I was going to different events. And it's the same thing with my podcast. Uh, a lot of the people that are listening to the show 
aren't my friends and family. Matter of fact, mm. I probably get the least amount of views on my personal Facebook page than I do on my business pages and also in uh, Instagram. Like my Instagram is getting ready to blow up because like I'm getting like a ton of views on these on these podcasts and the uh, yeah. and the uh, shows because these people are strangers. They're just they are interested in what I'm promoting. And like you said, if I was sitting around waiting on friends and family to uh, support it, it would just really not be uh, really it wouldn't be really even be uh, a good investment of my time, money or resources. Mm, it'd be a hobby. It, the podcasting would be your hobby. And that's OK to have hobbies, but can't pay bills with hobbies. So if you've decided you want to pay your bills and again, this is not a slight because I know somebody out there going, my family loves me and they support me. That's great. I have very little family. My immediate family is like seven people, including an infant. Like, I, I just don't have a whole lot of family. I don't, for instance, I don't have any cousins on, like first cousins on this side. So like my mom has a brother who didn't have children. <laughs> right? Wow. So like I have a whole, exactly. Or like my grandfather was the only child. That kind of thing. Like there's a lot of branches of my family tree that just don't exist. So like right, Thanksgiving's right. one table of people. Try as they might, they just couldn't support everything I want to do. I just don't have the economic wherewithal. I just don't want people to be held up on that. If only my city would support me. I just talked to a lady in Ireland yesterday. Damn your city, go get paid. <laughs> you said, damn your city, just go get paid. Just go get paid. And go then also, paid. go get paid what you're worth. Can yes, we talk about please. that about pricing, please? Because you you mind? Because we we we've talked about this uh, countless times. I've I've heard you talk about it a lot on Clubhouse as well about pricing and how people price themselves out of the market. Could you speak to that a bit? You know, I'll say this because I could I could write a monologue, but I'll tell anybody listening this much. Whatever is telling you that you have to be cheap to get business is flawed. I want you to think about. Who you are, queens and kings listening, my people of color. What dream car do you want? Is it a Kia Rio? Is it a Lamborghini? Your dream car. When you go on vacation, where do you want to stay? What hotel? Is it expensive or is it cheap? What city do you want to visit? Paris, the most expensive country, I mean, city in the world. Where do you want to go? What do you want to do? When you go and look at bundles, do you pick the cheapest bundles? When you pass by Louis Vuitton, do you think, I want a Louis Vuitton? Or better yet, is there already one in your closet? It's so interesting to me that black people spend the most amount per capita, percentage-wise, of their disposable income on brand name goods. But when we go into business, we want to be cheap. We turn into Walmart when we have to price ourselves. And I'm going to be honest with you, I think it is slavery trauma. I know that's deep, but that's what I think. Because it got brought to my attention and it's real. We never really got to price ourselves. We were, we were brought to this country and, and, and a price was put on our head. In a very traumatic, horrible historical event. And then eventually we got some freedoms and then we started working, at which point a company put a price on our head. We just call it a salary now. Right, right. When did we get to decide how much money we get to make? That's an extremely recent phenomenon for women and all people of color. That is very, very recent. So I think that's why we struggle. Look, I know you're sitting here going, Natalie. 
People won't buy my, my art for $20. How could I charge it for 5000 Maybe the person who would spend $20 on art just doesn't value art. And maybe that's why you're not selling it. Maybe if you priced it in such a way that you showed value, then other people would value it as well. Right? We like to talk about what the customers don't do. But what about what you are doing or saying in your action? If you do hair and you'll do a whole head for $30, you're saying you don't value hair and appearance that much. How does your hair look? I won't go to hairdressers whose hair look a mess anymore. Because to me, that's your crown if that's your craft. If you're a fashion designer, then I, like, I need to like your style before I spend money on your clothes. If you're a coach, then you need to be coachable. I need to hear you take feedback. That's why I love listening to these clubhouse rooms. I don't want to hire somebody who's always right. I'm not always right. Yeah, I was wrong. And I mean, in this conversation, I, I, I mentioned something and you said, no, actually, this is actually makes more sense. And as we're talking, I'm like, you know what? She's damn right. That makes a lot more sense, to be honest. But, right? that, doesn't, but that doesn't mean either of us is right or wrong and neither right. one of us is going to get bent out of shape about it because guess what? We're here to learn from each other. But a lot of times people are closed off and they're closed off into things that don't work. If you're not hitting your money milestone in your business, it's one of three problems. Or maybe all of them. One, people don't know who you are, what you sell, or that you're selling it. So you got to... I think Natalie just broke up a bit, guys. Hold on a second. Let's see here. I'm going to give Natalie a minute. So, uh... Sanjay, how you doing? Welcome to the stage. I wanted to uh, invite you up uh, to uh, kind of, so right now I'm on Clubhouse Live. Uh, do you have any key takeaways from our conversation right now? I think Natalie, her internet just uh, just uh, just froze on us. She, it, it sounded like she was fading out on us, but um, she has been preaching the gospel here, so hopefully people have been picked up. Uh, I did want to ask her a question, so hopefully she comes back. A question that I hear a lot uh, on, you know, in these clubhouse rooms about, um, you know, when new entrepreneurs are starting their business and they're caught in that cycle of, uh, you know, wanting to make more money but feeling like they don't have the money to make money, and it's just this vicious cycle. And I know that part of it is mindset, but I wanted to have Natalie talk to that. You know, we, we do a lot of rooms together on this stuff, but I wanted to have her speak to that. But she's been laying it down for you, you know. And one of the things that she said earlier that I don't think people really understand is that, yeah, what she said is going to cost you time or it's going to cost you money. Which one are you willing to spend? Make up your mind. OK. Um, and the sooner you make up your mind, the sooner you can level up in your business. And frankly, what I hear a lot from women, especially because that's my audience, is I'm tired. I'm overwhelmed. I'm exhausted. I have the corporate job. I have the, you know, the spouse. I have the kids. I have this. I have that. So the idea that you are then going to find the time to sit and maybe build a website or do this or do that in your business is probably some to none. You know, and so I have always been of the mindset that I'd rather spend the money, invest the money and have somebody else do the things that are their area of expertise. It's their zone of genius. That's what they do. And you know what that allows me to do? That allows me to go and work in my zone of genius and do what it is that I'm good at and do what it is that I love to do. So sometimes it's not even a, a, a matter of you not being able to do something. Say, for example, you feel like, OK, graphics. 
you know, building websites. That's not my ministry. That's not my expertise. It's not that you can't sit down and figure it out and spend the time and that sort of thing. Sometimes it's just you don't want to. I mean, I left corporate so that I could step into my business and do the things that I want to do, the things that move my heart and soul. Okay, so that absolutely means let me offshoot the things that really don't fall in my area of expertise, the things that I'm not passionate about, the things that are not income generating in my zone of genius. Let me offshoot that to somebody else and go and do the things that I love, the things that are income generating for me. Okay, so I want you to start thinking about it in that way as well. Okay, you're starting this business to give you more freedom. So that you can have more choice and be able to do some of the things that you really want to do. So start doing that. Hey, Natalie, I, I think you got kicked off the uh, the uh, Internet connection. Are you are you able to uh, speak through your phone on Clubhouse? Yeah, go figure. What happened? <laughs> what happened to the uh, to the computer? I don't know. I don't know. And my tech support is at work. I am so Oh, sorry. my gosh. You may be able to log back in. But uh, so as we kind of wrap up, because um, I'm still live here on Facebook. <laughs> <laughs> without you uh, i want to thank you for doing the show uh what would be the one place you'd like people to, uh, to connect with you if they want to learn more about working with you and maybe the coaching and just connecting with you uh, best place to find me is on instagram my instagram is at unapologetic at, at unapologetic wealth and i like to give my guests the last word so as it relates to uh getting paid what you're worth um, Natalie, what would you like to leave our audience with? And thank you so much for being on the show. And for those of you listening, those of you watching on Clubhouse, looking at my bald head by myself, I apologize. I don't have the lovely Natalie with me. Uh, she had a, her, her IT guy is no is not with her right now. Tech support isn't with her to get it back on the computer. But Natalie, what would you like to leave our audience with, my friend? I want to leave our audience with a statement that they can take with them anytime they are in pricing and negotiations, talking with clients, how much you earn and the lifestyle you create for yourself is directly within your control. Times have changed. It is no longer attached to who you're married to, where you live for the most part, or what you do. You have the final say. Don't live a small life because you feel like that's what you had to do. Your choices, either way, are what's going to make you wealthy. So you can start to make wealthy choices. Like, I have an extra $100. Maybe I'm going to buy a share of Apple stock. Not a stock recommendation, but a possibility. Instead of buying a new pair of shoes. That's a wealthy choice a person could make. Maybe I'm going to buy more life insurance. Maybe I'm going to invest in building business credit. Maybe I'm going to hire a coach. Maybe I'm going to hire a CPA so that I'm not doing my own books and my own taxes when that's outside of my zone of genius. Start thinking about choices that move you forward. That's where we mess up. We make these huge New Year's resolutions and then we never we never revisit them. And people wonder why a whole year passes and nothing gets done because you need to break those into daily actions. So if you want to make $200,000 a year, then you need to be making what? 18,000 a month. So you need to be making what? Like 4,000 a week. So you need to start thinking on Sunday, how is this going to be a $4,000 week? Well, if you're selling the $37 ebook, you're in trouble. <laughs> if that's your whole offer would make a lot more sense to just make a $5,000 offer. Right. And then you could discount it down, quote unquote, to 4,000 if you needed to. And then you only need to sell one a week to hit your target. How do you make 
one sale a week? Well, you need to probably make two or three offers a week. How do you make three offers a week? You need probably 10 or 15 leads. How do you get 10 or 15 leads? Get on Clubhouse, get on Instagram, get in Facebook groups, et cetera. Now you see how I build out a to-do list that could actually help you make money, right? But if all you've got is a dream, a wish, a hope, at some point in the future, I'd like to make more money, it's too nebulous to do you any good. I, I speak over everybody in this room, everybody listening on Facebook. We can't have the lives we desire. Um, we serve a big God. We serve a God that's bigger than all the self-doubt, all the cheap customers that you have, all the, the people in your community that you think won't buy from you, all the question marks you have about your business. Our God is bigger than all of those things. And he